Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to what promises to be another um, lively um, and uh, interactive discussion between beloved brothers on this edition. And first I will ask the one in the red corner to introduce himself. <laughs> that is our brother, the Assalamualaikum. And he in the red corner on the top left hand of the screen as I'm looking at, at it is none other than... Well, I guess that's me, guys, Abdurrahim Green, your brother in Islam, Abdurrahim Green. And, and the down take... below, over there, wait a minute, there, yeah, that way, yeah, mm -hmm. is um, our esteemed uh, Ustad Dr. Professor... <laughs> uh -huh. Ustad Ilyas Kilmani. Thank and you. Beautiful. Over there, no, over there is Dr. Abdelhak Baker, mashallah, mm. with again our guest Ilyas, as Abdurrahim has highlighted, taking center stage, mashallah, tabarakallah. And as you, the viewers from last week, would have um, um, recalled, we felt it necessary that last week's discussion on the um, death of fatherhood um, and a very lively debate, as we've mentioned. Uh, be followed by today's discussion, manhood versus toxic masculinity. And I want to throw it uh, right out there now and ask asking our brothers, Abdurrahim, um, Ilyas, what is manhood first? How do we define manhood? And according to what categories or criteria? Abdurrahim. Oh, I thought you were gonna, I'm gonna throw. <laughs> <laughs> call me, call me there, bro. <laughs> you can defer. You, you can defer me. if you like. You caught me um, with my um, anyway, bro. So yeah. So um, Alhamdulillah, manhood. Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I to be honest, you know, I, um, I, I haven't really. I mean, this subject. Um, I'm more interested in toxic masculinity from the point of view of what is the origin of this idea of toxic masculinity where does it come from and um yeah how much can we agree with from the islamic point of view so i don't know i mean for me you know wh what does it mean being a man is very similar to what does it mean being a father but i guess um you know it's again it's to do with qualities of leadership i think that's something that is intrinsic to manhood i think a part of manhood is uh uh, it's taking responsibility. That's it's a lot to do with that, and it's a. I think manhood, you know, is about being a thinking, thoughtful, um, acting um, less on impulse and much, much more uh, on a process of uh, rational thinking and well thought out behavior patterns. I would say that's key. And uh, if there's something that is supposed to make a man stand out, surely it must be that. It must be his ability uh, to rationally look at things in a relatively unemotional way, uh, unemotional, relatively unemotional. I don't think humans can be totally unemotional. It's not possible and it's not desirable. But I say relatively uh, that 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 I guess those are the essential characteristics uh, that really set men apart. That's my that's my foray into this particular discussion. 
Yeah, there you go. That's it from me for, for this particular. Yeah, throwing it at me. Thanks, Abdul Hak. No, I, I had to throw you throw you under the bus in that one. Yeah, but bro, I didn't, you didn't. You didn't, you you didn't even flipping delay, bro. Like excellent answer, though, Abdurahim. Excellent. Uh, no, Jazakallah. I think that right. that set the, the the premise, the tone. Um, Ilyas, what would you say concerning that um, on top of you know, Abdurahim? No, no, I think look from the Quran perspective. Uh, first, Allah says very clearly in the Quran, the male is not like the female. So there's basic biology. And is actually in the Arabic language refers to obviously private parts as well. Yeah. You know, so fundamentally there is a recognition of biology. And then from that, Allah Ta'ala is making it absolutely clear. Qualitatively, uniquely different creatures. And I think this is very important that we believe in two genders. And that's it. Absolutely, fundamentally that. And then the concept of next, what it builds on is that we have the basic biology that is nurtured. So the real question is, what does it mean to be a man, to be rijal? And I remember one of my ustads, he said it brilliantly once. He says, we have males, but not men. And I love the way that he put that. And so the concept of rijal and nisa is the, the social construction, really, is based on the socialization, cultural uh, nurturing and development, social, political, and most importantly, I, I think when we talk about the crisis, the more it goes away from prophetic guidance and the more it's defined, obviously, fundamentally in materialistic terms, and the crisis has always been there, the crisis of masculinity in every single age, because you either have masculinity constructed by the best of men, who are, as Allah Ta'ala makes it absolutely clear in the Quran, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي and not only did Allah send Anbiya and Rasul, he sent men as messengers who were inspired, embodying noble characteristics of masculinity. And in my research, what I did is I went through all 26 Anbiya and Rasul, and I extracted every single one of their defining qualities. And I've got that whole list. I call it prophetic masculinity. And so then it comes on to, and this is, I think, just finishes the discussion, because really the question of the crisis is because we've fundamentally gone away from the best example, the embodiment of masculinity. Whenever I hear these discussions in so many different panels, whether it's Muslim or non-Muslim panels, yeah, in particular more in the Muslim space, and I think I don't even hear everyone's talking about toxic masculinity and crisis of masculinity and the construction of masculinity and this, that, and the other. The Prophet Ali is the ultimate embodiment of what it means to be a man. And he came, the most exalted in character, who came as in hadith, to establish noble characteristics. He exemplifies masculinity. And this whole science of what we call the science of what it means to be a man, unfortunately, we become very disconnected from it. So this comes on to why I chose this in my thesis to, to actually focus on this. And I start off in the first paragraph of my thesis. I, I said, when I look back on it, being a man is probably one of the most powerful influences in my whole life. And it shapes so much of what it is about me on an on a emotional, psychological, physical, biological, it goes on and on. Yet I had no formal instruction of what it meant to be a man. I had no one sitting me down and actually giving me formal lessons. This is what it means to be masculine truly. So therefore me as a 70s and 80s child growing up in those formative years, I realized my construct came from two things. One, looking at the men in my own life, 
and their cultural paradigm. And it wasn't particularly great, I have to say. And the second thing was the predominant media of the time which back in the 70s and 80s, film, drama, whatever it was, yeah? And then third, peer influence. So essentially, when we talk about the construct of one of the most powerful aspects of me as a man, my masculinity, what Allah Ta'ala refers to in the Quran, it's being shaped by all of these very, very dysfunctional influences. And it took me, even, even in, during my period of being in Islam, it was my own self-discovery of saying, you know what? I'm going to look at what is prophetic masculinity and um, to find out what this science is of marua or fatua, true nobility of being a man, to actually start to then actually realize, you know, subhanAllah, this whole contamination of machismo, bravado, of, of materialism, and fundamentally this is the dichotomy that we have. We have masculinity either shaped fundamentally by market forces where men are reduced to an economic unit, or we have to elevate ourselves to that and actually seek prophetic ma masculinity. So the, the, okay. question, yeah, the question is, what does it mean to be a man? Thank you for that, Like I think both of you have made some very, very um, profound statements that we can unpack and build upon that. And Abdurrahim, you said something which was really interesting um, on the perception of manhood and um, balance and leadership and focus. So... Let me ask, con in contrast to that then, the man who's emotional, um, highly emotional, um, highly strung, um, reactionary, does that detract from his masculinity? Is that a contrasting thing to the construct that, um, that you, you've, you've highlighted? Because it's a good construct, but is there, is there something that diminishes Oh, just straight up, what diminishes yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think it does. Why? Absolutely. Yeah, basically. I mean, the things that make me think, you know, well, what makes me think along these lines, right, uh, are the, you know, the, the uh, you could say the infamous verses, right, of the Quran about how a man goes about disciplining, um, you know, well, yeah, disciplining his wife, right? And just the sheer, I mean, just opening that topic, yeah? The fact that there is a, it seems to be, and if I haven't misunderstood this, I may have misunderstood it, yeah? But it seems to me that since a man has that leadership responsibility within the family that Allah has given him, that Allah has made men the maintainers of women, and maintainers and protectors of women, that he has that position uh, of emirship or leadership uh, position, right? And I, I would suppose just as a government um, has, you know, an, an understood permission and accountability to, you know, keep law and order, uh, in the same sense that that is the man's responsibility in the family. Um, and so I remember reading about, uh, you know, Ibn Abbas is that, you know, the main theme, however, is contrary to what one may think is that the man has to be extremely patient. His process of trying to, you know, put his wife on the right path is one of, of patience, of advising, of, you know, admonition. It is a very, very, you know, it, and it, so that it's, it's a patient, it's a process that by its very definition demands a lot of patience. It's something that takes time, years even it may take in order to 
um, make those, you know, those corrections that he that he will have a responsibility for. So that is completely in the opposite of the type of reactionary, violent behavior that a man just loses his temper, freaks out, um, starts, you know, assaulting members of his family. Um, and that, that is completely, that is not how a man should behave. That is completely contrary to the, what is real manhood, right? And so we know the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never, you know, he never struck his wives. He never laid a hand on his family, right? He was extremely patient. We know accounts of Aisha arguing with the Prophet, arguing with him, yeah, <laughs> very, very strongly to the extent that he had to bring in Abu Bakr on one occasion to come and intervene to sort out the argument. And then Abu Bakr, he actually, you know, he actually laid hands on, on his daughter and the, the Prophet intervened and said, no, we didn't ask you. I didn't ask you here for that. I didn't ask you to do something like that. Right. And then, you know, as famously, you know, when when her, when his father, you know, when Aisha's father left, the Prophet turned around and said, you see how I saved you from him. Right. So that lighthearted moment. The point being, look at. So, like, if you want the real embodiment of manhood, you look at the prophet. You look at how people abused him. You look at how people mistreated him. You look how the roughest people, Bedouins, you know, like a person would grab his, he'd be walking by, they'd grab his cloak to take his, give me that, Muhammad, you know. And the prophet said, if I had anything else, I'd give it to you, but I need this to cover me. You know, this is his patient. Subhanallah, you know, I, I don't want to go on too much, but, you know, there's another example of Taif. You know what happened at Taif when he was pelted with stones and you know what was his attitude the angel said we'll destroy these people and the prophet said no maybe their descendants will be guided to islam this is what we're talking about this is manhood this is a real man this is patience this is this is intelligence this is not emotional responding cursing and you know violence and subhanallah nothing will drive to the prophet to violence yeah, that, unless it was absolute last resort that brings to mind that, that hadith as well abrahim about um the strength the strong one is not the one who can overpower people with his physical strength and anything yeah. the strong one is who keeps himself calm at times of anger so that yeah. that's in line with what you're saying there and yeah i, I agree i think that, that's why i asked you that question on what what is the converse of the strong man does it detract when someone is losing their temper and i don't think um, what you're saying there abdrahim means that a, a man can't be passionate a man can't be angry but what you're saying if he goes to the extreme of the violence and total loss of control that he detracts from from um his his manhood but there's some really good and interesting comments that are coming up from our viewers and i want to say walaikum salam to all of you kira um octavia all the malahat um Amal, all of you there. Um, John John Fontaine's joined us again as well, and he gave a very classic Don Corleone um, quotation as well. The one who doesn't spend time with his family, and we have that lads culture that we know about from from a Western perspective. Um, what I would ask Ilyas, as uh, hearing what um, Abdurrahim said and what you've said about the prophetic um, uh, character that's there regarding um, manhood, some uh, brothers have put forward that when women behave badly for example you don't hear of tos toxic femininity okay you had earlier comments that came in um before as well there isn't such a thing of, of, of to as toxic 
masculinity. Masculinity in and of itself cannot be toxic, but there's a perception you that see, it can be toxic. toxic. This, so this that's is, what I'm saying. Yeah, Let's yeah, jump yeah. into that now. Well, so I'm not going to jump into what is toxic masculinity. I, 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 as I said, you know this whole idea of crisis of of, of gender, of roles, of what is it? What does it mean to be a man, be a woman, be a fundamentally define yourself as a human being? This existential crisis. You're right. We we are experiencing this. At the moment in the world, there's a fundamental crisis between those people who define themselves, as I said, in terms of faith values, in terms of prophetic values, and those people who are defining themselves in terms of materialistic values. So you're right. But I'm going to add something a bit more about what we call so-called toxic fe- fe- femininity. Yeah, because let us let us make it absolutely clear that men, Allah makes it in the Quran that our societies are patriarchal. And this is part of the dichotomy. What we have is that we have radical feminism, which is against all forms of patriarchy. And then we have the reaction to that with the manosphere and very toxic masculinity movements who basically then dismiss all of the rights of women. Yeah. And as we said, wasitiya in everything, we follow a middle path. Now, Allah Ta'ala makes it absolutely clear. That the man has a qawwam. Allah's ultimate infinite wisdom, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put man in charge. And again, guys, look at the prophetic example of how the Prophet administered Gawam. I break it down into three characteristics I've identified. And I use this in management training as well. I said, if you exemplify these three characteristics, you will find that you, 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 you will create followers. The first, Al-Ilm. The Prophet led with knowledge, evidence, facts. And, and this is actually one of the qualities of all of the ambianos. This is the number one quality of masculinity, to be an educator, to be a teacher, to base your life based on knowledge and understanding and facts, not based upon your own whims and desires and your own emotional reaction and things like that. So the Prophet was an educator. He taught his family. He taught his wives. He taught the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen. He led by example. Number two, Rahmat. Wa ma asalnaka illa rahmati lalalameen. The amount of hadith that we have on the mercy of the Prophet is just phenomenal. And the Prophet would serve his families. And the basics of that Rahmat is that the Prophet served others before he served himself. Third, Al-Adl, justice. In Allah, Ya'mru bil-Adli wal-Ihsani wa-Ita'ithi al-Qurba. The Prophet administered justice with ihsan, with excellence, to those who are those close to him. If you have ill, adl, and rahmah, believe me, the reaction that you will get from the females who are obviously in your kawam will be nothing other than devotion and following to the ends of the earth. And so when we see a toxicity in females, it is basically a manifestation of, I, and I say, and I people don't like it when I say, it's a manifestation of the poor leadership of men. That they are not administering with ilm other than rahmah. The last point, building on what Abdurrahim said about emotional. It wasn't that the Prophet wasn't emotional, he was. But he had immense emotional control and emotional intelligence. And this is again masculinity. The hadith which exemplifies it more than anything else is when the Prophet lost his son Ibrahim. And he's crying. And one of the companions of the Rahman ibn Awf, he comes to me, Ya Rasulullah, what is this? He says, this is rahmah. This is mercy. The Aish and the Hadith, the eye sheds a tear. The heart feels sadma, sadness, but the tongue never utters anything which disobeys Allah. That is the embodiment of emotional control, balance and perfection. The Prophet said, you can cry. It's okay, but you keep it all within limits. Because you need, as, as men, you know what? Part of what's toxic about men is the stoicism. Keep it in. Don't cry. Don't let it out. Don't show weakness. No. Show weakness, but keep it within a limit. Because you know why? 
Why is it that on a global level that the main source of death for men from 18 to 45 is suicide? We have 800,000 suicides every year globally. It's the main source of death for men 18 to 45. Why? And, and, and with, with male, male suicide, what do we learn? Everyone always says, I just finished a big project on suicide just now, suicide prevention. What they always say is that we never know, knew that he was going through this. You've got to let people in. I'm feeling bad. I'm having a bad day. I'm in the zone of distress. So that the appropriate support network is there for men. And it's not weakness, it's strength. Because it's about emotional control and emotional intelligence. Let me come in there. I think that's really good that you mentioned that, um, uh, Ilias, because you will know yourself with the work that we've done in street um, and through, throughout the last 30 years or whatever. What has befallen black communities? Now, I'll come back to that. I have to as a black man. No, no, absolutely. I agree. And, and be, one step before the suicide is the emotional mental trauma you know the nervous psychological breakdowns you know the the sectioning um into hospital because the culture that we come from as i mentioned in previous weeks is one not to show um emotional vulnerability or tears even to our wives and our, our partners and our women and uh, more often than not that comes out in a negative form very um harsh a disciplinary to children or harsh with each other in how we communicate um so that one step before suicide is mental breakdown that happens amongst black communities so i'm bringing that in because these individuals going through this are very very much men and masculine okay but not always understanding that paradigm of prophetic manhood they have aspects of it but the emotional side, they've not been used to sharing, um, uh, cultivating um, in that way. And I dare say the same thing, Abdurrahim, I'd say in the English culture, I'd say in the Asian culture where you've got to keep the stiff upper lip and you're supposed to go out and be the provider. And if you're, if you're not providing and doing all of this, then you're not a real man. And so I think that all of us can identify with that sort of um, expectation that's there. But what I'm going to come back to now, Ilyas, is what you said, and some may, um, uh, who are hearing this um, may feel, oh, they're talking from a point of patriarchy, but you've already set the tone for that. One of the things that may be said or may come back yeah. to us in this discussion is that, okay, you said, we've spoken about the physiological differences and, and all of this, and the women being looked after and nurtured and protected and kept safe. Part of the toxic femininity that you've um, uh, alluded to, Ilias, I would say is afflicted some of the younger generation of Muslim women, because now you see this pullback um, from this all of this is um not only patriarchal but it's misogynistic and no we are equal in every sense of the word and these these are uh, these verses are uh, what are their relevance they need to be changed which we can't do as we know that would be coffered to do that so i want you to address that because some may you know what, what is amazing yeah and, and this obviously that's you know in, in islam we don't take one textual proof to the exclusion of all the others yeah so it's important right. yeah 
The Prophet والسلام, made it very clear. So many hadith. Treat women with kindness. And with he made it clear that he said, The best of you in Iman are best in Husn al Khulq. And the best of you are the ones who are best in their conduct with the women. But these two verses of the Quran, I think, really kind of contextualize it more than anything else. You see, part of the problem in the West is this, or, you know, on a global level, actually, yeah, is that men and women have been basically against each other it's almost polarized it's men against women and women against men yeah now what's interesting is the islamic paradigm is actually men and women having the same common objective well and the verse in surah al-isar it's beautiful you see, this verse came down. Allah put men and women. Women were not even mentioned in Revelation. Look at all of the Revelation. Do comparative religion analysis. You'll find the Quran is the only book which refers to men and women together. As equivalent. And even we have a chapter, An-Nisa, the women. And also Maryam. And An-Nisa begins with that women have rights. Allahu Akbar. This is unprecedented. This is un. And uh, and so the point I'm making here is Allah Ta'ala says wal wal that the believing men and women are awliya, help us friends and protectors of one another. I.e., our whole objective is partnership with one objective to worship our creator. So fundamentally, it recognizes qualitative difference, roles, responsibilities, division of labor, all of these things divinely revealed, okay, and the yet perfect, perfect complementality to achieve our objective. And obviously that doesn't mean a free-for-all of women in being awliya, obviously within the limits of the sharia as well, yeah? Then the verse which is in Surah Al-Hazab, I've got to say this is probably the most beautiful verse. And so there can't be toxic masculinity when you have a verse like this. The tafsir of it in, in Surah Al-Hazab, verse 35, is beautiful. Um Salama said to the Prophet, والسلام, the mere fact that she can say this to the Prophet just shows you how he empowered his the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, his wives, to be leaders, educators, and teachers. And Um Salama was a woman of enormous intellect, as the Sulhu the Treaty of Hudaybiyah tells us. Yeah. She said to the Prophet, why is everything for the women, uh, men not for the women? And then Allah revealed he revealed this to him while he's in the masjid, and then he calls out to Um Salama and he recites, Inna al-Muslimina wal Muslimat, wal Mu'minina wal Mu'minat, wal Qanitina wal Qanitat. And it's beautiful. He said, for the believing man and the believing woman, for the righteous man, for the righteous woman, for the upright man and the upright woman, for the truthful man, and it goes on and on like this, for the fasting man, for the fasting woman. Complete equivalence before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of reward, in terms of uh, uh, punishment for if, if they disobey Allah ta'ala, everything equivalent. And that's why we have equal pay legislation in Islam for the man and woman for the same job. Okay, and then Allah ta'ala finishes by saying, For them, Allah ta'ala has prepared for them forgiveness and a great reward. Now, so this is a context. So let's be absolutely clear. However, despite this, Allah Ta'ala has recognized qualitative difference between men and women and then gives them the appropriate role so they can excel in each other's fields. In their own respective spheres of influence, they can excel. It's like me, for example, if I give you the analogy, if I, for example, took a, a refuse collector and there's no disrespect because they play a fundamentally important role in society and I say do brain surgery. 
the person I'm deeply oppressing that individual and that's going to cause a harm in society and for people because they're not qualified to do that role even with you know training and it, it, perhaps not and it's likewise we have qualitative difference between men and women and there has to be a fundamental recognition of that However, as I said, when it comes to leadership, as I said, when it comes to the leadership of the Prophet these qualities, knowledge, mercy and compassion, justice. And I, I challenge anyone, your leader this administers those three qualities with you. What will you do? You will do nothing other than follow that person. And likewise, if you have a just man like this and an honorable, noble man like this, okay, what does a woman do? except find that there is a natural koam, that she naturally follows the leadership like that. Now, people want to deny that or reject that or not accept that. And that reflects the actual chaos and confusion of third way thinking that we have now as we become, everything, there, there is just no, uh, everything, all behaviors have become fluid and relative, yeah? And so anything goes now in our current environment, yeah? And, uh, and, and that's part of why we have so much polarized toxicity between men and women. And there's no part of it. So, it, it, so, it so, yeah, sorry. Yeah. What I said, no, so Ilyas and Abdurrahim, um, Abdurrahim, Ilyas mentioned the point where with those three characteristics that if, um, a, if a, a female is showing um, some toxicity in that instance, it's more of a reflection on the man's inability with regards to leadership. And to an, to an extent, I will agree with that. But wouldn't you agree that society now, and Elias, I know you, you would subscribe to that, and we're seeing the comments from our, our, our viewers, society has really driven that narrative of causing polarization, and not yeah. only causing, polar, causing polarization, as you've highlighted, but throwing in other things into the mix now, where about gender fluidity and everything like this. And I was reading an article in The Guardian, I think it's this, uh, this morning, um, where there's an uproar because um, transgender um, individuals are being prevented from um, participating in the normal um, binary, shall I say, gender athletics. And some are saying this is discriminatory against them and everything like that. So not only have you got the polarization, but you're now being called to a another way um, a totally different way, which is being imposed upon our children. So to toxicity of masculinity or the perception of toxic masculinity is perpetuated when individuals like us, I would say, say, no, there's only two genders. We don't accept that. L yeah. Like, um, or like, what's his name? The comedian um, very recently has stood up and, Chappelle, um, and said, David Chappelle, Chappelle, yeah. Chappelle is being bombarded now because yeah. he said that gender is gender um, issue, gender is an issue. There are only two genders, so that only perpetuates that 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 accusation of toxic masculinity. Because what society is now throwing upon us, foisting upon us, we're rejecting and saying no, male, female. So even more so, saying look at this. This is toxic masculinity right there. Abdurrahim, do you agree with, with some of the points I've made? I, I, yeah, bro, I, I definitely agree with um, yeah, pretty much everything you said. And I think, um, I, I mean, I'm, I am interested in the issue of toxic masculinity because I do think, like with many things, there is a genuine problem. And that sort of reflects on our conversation um, you know our conversation last week there is a whole culture of machismo right like for example especially in south america i don't know i don't know now but i know 
when I was younger, you know, there was a very strong culture in South America of machismo, um, you know, like, it, and it really was toxic to the extent that, you know, people would shoot each other for looking at a person in the wrong way. This whole idea of, you know, like what it meant to be a man. And there was a, a streak of, you know, uh, misogyny in it. Um, and there was a whole, uh, with it came a raft of abusing women and mistreating women and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's like a very big subject that does interest me because I, I do think that in many ways, shape or form, even within our culture, Islamic civilization and Islamic society, there is a real genuine conversation we have to have about how much has patriarchy, how much has the sort of customary, traditional, I don't know what, how to call it, yeah, but, you know, the, the way that men and women have interacted and the, the way that men have treated women, is it necessarily a lot of the stuff that we have? Is it really from our religion? What, how much is from the religion and how much is really a product of culture and circumstances? I think that's a big question. It's, it's big questions. I've had to, we've had this conversation before, Abdullah. This is a big question, you know, as the father of daughters living in the world today, like I've had to ask myself some very, very big, profound questions, right? Mm. And my big concern, just to finish and to, um, you know, I mean, it's a huge conversation. That's what I would really be interesting, especially Ilyas, I'd love to hear is both of you to hear your opinion on what I'm asking about. Um, uh, but, but I think the one thing that does worry me is that it's when something is agenda driven. And I think there is something in the article, some of the articles you sent me, and this is Wikipedia and Spectator, you know, it seemed to indicate to me that one of the issues that has been, or one of the issues that provoked this whole discussion or this whole labeling of toxic masculinity was the, was the gay homosexual issue. So that one of the things they labeled as being toxic in masculinity was a sort of dislike or revulsion or I don't know how to describe it for homosexuality. Um, and, and it seems to me that when something is driven by an agenda like that, I get, I get very immediately alarm bells start ringing, right? Uh, because sometimes I think that a narrative is being invented, literally invented, in order to justify the the normalizing of things that we just can't agree with that we know is you know an act of transgression against the commands of god right um and uh so this is a concerning for me and um so when i see something that seems to be driven by agenda and we can see that the, the again i'll finish on this is that you you can see the the attempt to align the whole issue of um, LGBT with racism. Right. And they're completely different things. Like I, they are completely different. But there is this very, very strong agenda to align the two things as if they are one and the same and they're all part of the same type of prejudice. So it's a massive conversation, obviously. And, um, and, and just to sort of make one point about that without going on too much, is that look this doesn't no one's promoting uh, in any way shape or form you know like violence beating up people 
you know, or even really being extremely unpleasant to people because of their sexuality or what or like that. that again, it goes back to what you're saying, what I'm saying about being a true man, right? It's being, you know, not not having the sort of over-the-top emotional response to stuff, right? Um, but yeah, that's it basically. So my main concern is what what is the agenda over this toxic masculinity and how much has I, to summarize it, how much has traditional patriarchy interpreted our interpretation of the religion? Right, Jazar. Okay, Elias, Elias, before I let you jump in, yeah. I know you're going to have a, a really good structure around yeah. um, these two points. Yeah. Abraham, you're, you're absolutely right. And the question is this only for 18 plus? No, it's not. It's for, for all ages, mashallah. Parental guidance allowed. But, um, Abraham, on the point of what you said there with regards to the homosexuality, and even the terminology, homophobia, we're not afraid. There's no phobia in that instance. It's exactly as you said. It's um, what is re religious, what is faith-led against an agenda that is a social construct, and they're pitting them against each other and making the former religious um, orthodoxy and beliefs extreme, while what is extreme is being made more mainstream. And nothing other than, uh, no, more recently, we saw that with the um, Black Lives Matter organization, which no one should subscribe to, because when you look at the ideology of that, it's exactly what you've said, Abdurrahim. They, they came in with Black Lives Matter from a few years ago. People globally, black, white, and subscribed to it because of the title, okay? But when you yeah. looked at the ideology, it was an LGBTQ-driven agenda. And what it did as, with all of these things, when you lump these um, causes together, uh, racism and like, you diminish the primary cause and obscure yeah. it. And that's what happened with, with racism. That happened with the, the, um, the George Floyd instance. That's happened over the years since the civil rights movement, since the 70s, lumping these movements together um, so you get the here you you, the, you get the the minority groups that when you gay lesbian black ethnic minority they bring them all together diminishing the original um, cause. So I agree with you totally on that. Before I hand back over to Ilyas, <laughs> what you said can, from the point of um, is it cultural religion? Abdurrahim, you and I as converts, we saw what our eyes were wide open when we came in that what we saw being touted as religion in many mm. of the communities that we moved amongst, which were South Asian. And I, I know Elias was subscribed to that because he was one of those who we met who was sort of, this is amazing, we've met someone upon the Sunnah who's not um, subdued by these cultural aspects. But we saw culture was being put forward as the religion. And it clearly, clearly was nothing to do with the religion and continues to be that case. FGM, for example, forced marriages, and in, in these examples, misogyny being being the 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 driving force and being mm. called patriarchy. So you're absolutely right, Abdurrahim. Knowing and um, dividing these two very very clearly is is necessary because it's confusing young men, it's confusing women, it's confusing society looking in at what's yeah. happening and saying this is a misogynistic religion. Ilyas has given verses, you've given examples where this religion is not misogynistic. No, Patriarchal, no, yes, but so Ilyas, I'm going to hand it over no, to no, you. No, I think, I think what I'm going to do, I want to establish a principle for the benefit of everyone, inshallah, to the best of my ability. Now, the verse in the Quran is very clear. And we have made you the middle path. Okay, you know, we have made you the middle, justly balanced nation. 
to be witnesses for mankind, and the Prophet ﷺ is a witness over you. Now, the reason I want to mention this is because, look, Abdurrahim, what you're talking about is essentially the weaponizing of identity politics. We have a whole yeah. range of identities out there, and Muslims don't should not fall into it. That's why I don't subscribe to a lot of Muslim identity politic movements, and you know, uh, because again, they're falling into this same trap of basically just pitting themselves against other identities, and then it becomes basically a free for all in terms of who gets political influence to actually weaponize their particular identity and then it becomes polarized against others, yeah? We are not an identity, we are a deen, a complete, comprehensive way of life, yeah? Now, so we can go at length about whether it's based on the LGBTQ lobby or the, you know, radical feminist lobby or whatever, but I, I want to kind of transcend all of that because we always return back to the wasidiyya of prophetic masculinity and how how the prophet and that allows us to dispense with culture and dispense with what the current kind of contemporary debates are and people talking about their own opinion and going to the actual noble characteristics of the best of men and in particular the prophet but now i want to kind of move on to really getting back to the core of the discussion about the crisis of masculinity because irrespective of this dichotomy and this polarized debate there are some real things that we as men need to recognize Philip Zimbardo has written an amazing book on it. There are two brilliant books on it. First is The New Manhood by Stephen Bidolf, which is an amazing book, yeah. And Stephen Bidolf provides a really balanced approach to, to what's going on with contemporary masculinity. And then there is uh, Philip Zimbardo, the famous for the prison, Stanford Prison Experiment, yeah. his book Man Disconnected, and he talks about the demise of guys. So let me just tell you what Philip Zimbardo said. He talks about the demise of what, bro? The demise of? The, demi the demise of guys. Okay, that's the rise of guys. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's called Man Disconnected. Two really good books. Now, Philip Zimbardo's research is based on a sample of 10,000 American males. And this is what he basically mm. says He says, by the age of 21, the average American male has spent 10,000 hours surfing, gaming, and watching porn. And he says this has had a profound effect on neurologically rewiring their brains and almost dumbing down their emotional centers. It almost completely annihilates the emotional centers of the amygdala and the frontal cortex. And this is why he says, when you look on a global level and you look at the indicators around men, and I'm going to just mention some of these indicators. Men have lower life expectancy. Men fit, routinely fail at relationships. 90% of the acts of violence in the world are perpetrated men. And 70% of the victims of them are other men. 90% of the children with behavioral problems in school are boys. Okay, three times more likely to die from preventable causes, motor vehicle accidents, et cetera, et cetera. 80% of the homeless, 90% of the prison population. The leading cause of death for men, as I said, 15 to 45 is suicide. Mental health, physical health, mortality. Men need all the statistics. Just being a male is the biggest risk issue of all. It is a real challenge that we have. And so what both Stephen Bidoff and what... Uh, uh, Philip Zabrada was saying is, yes, there is something fundamentally going wrong in our society. In comparison, and I'll finish with this point, because this is really shows the challenge that we have in terms of a crisis. And I see this here in Bradford, in the UK, on, on a global level. Women are doing much better than men on an educational and vocational level, especially in the OECD countries. And that's brilliant, amazing. And we do not in any way, shape or form want to curtail that, you know. But men are doing nowhere near. If you look at the attainment levels, and what he talks about by the age of 21, the dumbing down of boys, the disintegration of the emotional, how yeah. porn, 
hypersexualized society, negative male mod role models, negative peer influences, drugs and alcohol, okay, hypersexualized society, and you just look at all the construct of all that they're being exposed to in terms of gaming, et cetera, et cetera. They're doing no way near as well as females. We're not, let's just say that we want an, an equivalence of it. And, and the facts are all there in his book. He's talking about on an educational and a vocational and a sociological level. So therefore, if basically, we what we're talking about is emasculation, basically. Really. No, 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 no. It's more than other things. It's, it's a profound asymmetry that we have at the moment. And when mm. we have this asymmetry, and we are not teaching boys noble characteristics, how on earth do they assert kawam? Because we're not teaching them the prophetic way of ilm adal wa rahmah. So all they, it's like this. If the only tool in your box is a hammer, then what do you use? And that's the profound crisis that we have. And I see it here in the UK, in our communities. Hmm. And this, yeah, is, yeah, not, and, and this is why I want to I wanna get away from the whole discourse around radical feminism and the manosphere yeah. and incel movements and everything else. I want to get away from that to actually look at the real. Look, Abdul Haq, you and I know we've worked in Feltham. Okay, I've worked. Do you know 80% of the kids in Feltham are Muslim? Yeah. Do you know that for the first time ever, Black and Asian boys are the majority of young offenders here in the UK. There's something profoundly wrong in what I said at right from the beginning. Sitting down and mentoring our boys on what it means to be a man. So, Ilias, quickly, yeah. just to jump in and come back to you, you mentioned the point about the inability of the youth to assert being um, Kawam and Kawam yeah. being, being responsible. Now, is it an inability that is from only from them and not having the tools to do that because there's an assumption that in asserting that there's a dominance that needs to be um, implemented. Shouldn't it be a societal um, condition or environmental um, sort of readiness for them to slip into that position? If you understand what I'm saying. Stephen Budolf puts it in such an articulate way. He says, we can't expect boys to be good men if they don't see good men. Right. That's that's it. I think that's at the heart of what you're saying here. Tragically, you know, what we spoke about last year, cross-generational transference of trauma from three generations from male to male to male. And also we see we see a transference of toxicity, unfortunately, and we don't see a breaking of the cycle of behavior. So that, that's part of the, the challenge here. But as I said at the beginning, do you remember having the class on what it means to be a noble man? Okay, and what it means to have noble characteristics as, as, as a man. Instead, what we're having is this. We define masculinity, and, and this is the current market for it. First, in terms of sexual prowess. You know, the guy who has lots of girls and whatever and sexually active, start, don. When I do the right. workshop, when I do the workshop with kids, they bring out all the terms. He's the geezer, he's the bloke, he's the one, he's the, you know. He's not a slut or a slag or a, or a, or a, or a hoe or a, whatever, is he? He's, a, he's, a, he's the man. Next, physicality. You've got to have the six-pack. We have enormous body dysmorphia amongst kids now at the moment, right. amongst boys, yeah, because they hate the way that they're looking. I, I, I saw, as someone who's been training in gyms for 30 years, I saw the amount of steroid use that's taking place now with 16, 17-year-olds juicing up to look a particular way, not recognizing that it's going to have a lifelong impact on their whole, you know, physiology, yeah? Okay, and then defining in terms of materialism as well, and that if I don't have the car, if I don't have the clothes, if I don't have this, the Instagram masculinity, which is out there, if I don't conform to this hegemonic masculinity that is defined by market forces out there, I have failed as a man. And that's what creates the incel movement, these very, very toxic reactionary movements. I mean, just did a lecture on, 
on incel violence this week. We've had 10 mass murders, okay, uh, linked to incel uh, violence here. Why? Because, you know, it creates such a nihilistic mindset, yeah, that these guys think, well, if I can't compete, I haven't got the body. We had the Plymouth attack earlier this year. A guy who says, well, you know, I can't go to the gym. No woman wants to look at me, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing to do. He kills his mother first. Mm. Oh, my and, God. You know, he killed him. I had a similar case in our community, and I have quite a few cases where the people have latched onto the manosphere and that they see that, okay, this is what it means to be a guy. And the first object of their hate becomes their mother, their single mother. Right. You fail. You fail to keep the man. You fail to keep my dad. Okay, not that they recognize that dad was abusive, perhaps in the first place. Yeah. So, so yes, you know, getting away from the 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 kind of macro issues out there it comes down to the grassroots of our social capital, of what's happening to our young men at the moment, and what's going to happen in the next ten years. Because if we cannot equalize our men, and it doesn't mean that look, when we talk about the kawab of men, that doesn't mean they have to be materialistic. Because no, it's about characteristics, nobility. Okay, uprightness, knowledge, understanding, that's what it's about, yeah? Mm. When they have that, then I, I did a lecture. You know when you, you, know, when you have the natural kawam of a man and, and a woman, she follows him. But when she's earning more than him, she's more intelligent than she's more empowered than him and everything else. And I'm not in any way saying that, you know, we don't want women who are strong and empowered. It just, it's just a different dynamic. And if yeah. the man hasn't got tools, and he's set, as Abdurrahim said in that cultural paradigm, I'm afraid he's only got one tool in the box. Can I give an example of that, Ilyas? And Abdurrahim, yeah. when, when I was working in Southall, when I was working in the legal profession in Southall, a classic example of what we saw, and Abdurrahim, I think you may have dealt with some dawah in that instance, and you, Ilyas, as well, is we were seeing, um, remember in the 90s when the Somali community, there was an influx of them uh, as refugees coming into the UK. And one of the things we saw in Southall in the firm that of solicitors I was working for is that when the women were coming over, um, they were divorcing their husbands, okay? And I remember sitting in one of the cases like, what's going on here? And they said, well, what good are our husbands to us now when we've come to a society where we get benefits, we get housing, our children go to school free? What are our husbands doing? They're not qualified. They can do nothing. We don't need them. The state gives us a lot more. And when we were seeing that in on a community scale, okay, we just waited to see the what the effects it would have on the Somali youth a generation or two later. And you only have to look now. Remember, Abdurrahim, you saw Streatham, and I'm not saying everyone is Streatham. Abda, we're from South London. Abda, uh, Ilyas, you're from South London. We saw a ghettoization amongst the Somali next generations, and they became as prolific in the gang culture as the black communities and still are. And that breaking away where a society facilitated women saying, we don't need our men. Mm. Our men are insignificant. And Abdurrahim, you mentioned the key thing there. Uh, this is another conversation, maybe for another time. The emasculation of men and, and societies cause that. There are elements, I think, that mothers, some mothers, not deliberately, mothers who may have been in a bad marriage, um, an abusive marriage and they want their sons to grow up to be that righteous balanced man everything their father wasn't <laughs> to them tend to shape or emasculate inadvertently in some occasion on some occasions that child into being how they want or perceive that man to be and they strip from them those mm -hmm. elements um 
of manhood that are required, thus causing confusion amongst those men. And I'll, I'll stop on this point and hand back to Ibrahim. And one classic case, which you both might know, and I don't want to give too much details, is a confidential case that Ilyas and I dealt with, was of um, a, a particular convert to Islam who became extreme, went off to um, Somalia, joined Al-Shabaab, was very brutal, very violent, and was killed over there. And when the mother was interviewed and the family was interviewed, obviously the shock, the horror, the sadness, but what didn't come out, and I'm not going to go into more details here, but that there was incest taking place um, in that family from the mother to one, if not two of the sons, okay, that never came out. And the son that went off and did what he did, did it from the basis of wanting to get out, escape, um, and really show a toxicity as a man that he then transferred to understanding as being a Muslim. Mm. It's, it's overcompensation, you know, from emasculation yeah. to hypermasculinity. It's a total overcompensation. It's a flip from 180 from one position to another. And that's exactly what happens when you don't have that balanced middle path of instruction, guidance, mentoring with compassionate males, with knowledge and understanding and prophetic qualities. Mm. Just not out there. Now, again, I mentioned last week, Resilient Dads, our program. And Resilient Dads is exactly about that. Fatherhood is one of the most fundamentally important things that we do as men. And we need to have as many tools and as many kind of, uh, you know, kind of as much knowledge as we can to assist us and, and, and to facilitate that particular role. Because I think someone asked the question, does this happen in childhood? Yes, the construct of masculinity and manhood starts from zero. And it starts from you looking at the primary male role model in your life, your father. Right. And imitating that behavior, because that's the that's what really happens it, between zero and four in terms of social, emotional, cognitive, behavioral development is more than the whole of the rest of our life. And so, yeah, right. It will. You, you will repeat cycles of behavior unless you become self-aware enough to actually break a cycle. So this and this is the tragic challenge of, of our of our time. And I, I want to say this, you know, that look, we as Muslims have something to offer everyone on a global level when we talk about prophetic masculinity. And we talk about all of the qualities of the Anbiya and the Rasul and how they dealt with their respective societies, with their own cultural, social and political dynamics, which are, you know, totally relevant to our times on a global, global level as well. We need to offer this. We need to offer these programs. We need to put this in, into a con. And if we don't, then you're right. We have just the most reactionary and toxic elements coming out. I see so many people talking about this area and they never go back to prophetic masculinity and the way that, the, the, and as I said, all of our Ambiyana Rasul, none of them were materialistic, even though some Allah made kings and some like the Prophet, he was, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was uh, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they were not materialistic. None of them. Okay. Were people of, you could say, uh, you know, uh, all of you know, the other one is articulation, Jawami al Kalam, the ability to be intellectually astute and capable in your argumentation. Look at Ibrahim, look at the Prophet, as well, Jawami al Kalam. Last week, uh, Abdul Haq, this sums up our crisis of masculinity. I mentioned it in my khutbah on Friday. There was a, a non Muslim on social media, and he did a little video where he wasn't mocking the prayer, but the people saw that he was felt that he was mocking the prayer, and he wasn't. Okay, but he was mocking the prayer. So a group of our lads who are going to defend Islam decided to do what? Go smash his house up. They smashed all his windows. They broke his house. 
this is what it means to be a man you see that's why it, it is all, all all about that why because they're completely incapable of using intellect and in south and london as you know killing killing someone and we know the hadith about the one being killed doesn't always being killed and the one killing doesn't always be killing mm. in yeah. south london us three know the spot especially amongst the black community killing someone to earn stripes you're as scared as the person you're killing but yeah. this is this makes you a man um, this is masculinity. This is the very definition of toxicity, Abdurrahim. You know, was asking yeah. what is toxic. And I think the examples that we've all been speaking about at this stage of the show and mm. uh, the dysfunctionality of the individuals is where the toxic masculinity creeps in. Um, this is a fascinating conversation, um, and brothers. Um, I, I think even the... the, 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 know, the when I didn't hyper-masculinity, uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, I found guys when I interviewed them, yeah, literally six seven eight hours a day immersive experiences yeah of watching ufc and then flipping from ufc to call of duty and then into grand theft auto then smoking weed with their mates and then having profoundly crude sexualized kind of conversations then a bit of porn and then they, and that is and, and you might not like to hear these guys and i'm i'm being actually tame i'm being tame and what how do you think this constructs views around what it means to be a man and how do you think it's affecting them neurologically in terms of the, the what, what what it's doing in terms of creating you know the the you know affecting their their, their brain's chemistry and, and kind of neurological kind of connections yeah what do you think it's doing and then this person has to have a relationship with a female okay so this is almost kind of like forget about pakistani culture bangladeshi culture or whatever cult, somali culture forget about that that's not this is what Philip Zabada talks about in terms of the global paradigm of mas what's creating and constructing mm -hmm. masculinity. And then these same men, when they f recognize that they fail to meet the societal standard of masculinity, whether it's their own cultural standard of being a provider, this, that, and the other, and then societal expectations of having a six pack, driving the right car and having the right material wealth, they don't meet those standards. Then what do you think it then creates in terms of their sense of complete disconnection, alienation, and, and that's where it creates such a reactionary behavior and thinking. That's what, what we have. That's the, that is the mishmash in, of, of the crisis that we have. And that's what my research found out. That's what's going on out there in our societies because we don't even engage. We And, and then just to kind of cap this all up, one of the most fundamentally important development transitions in a boy, in, in a male's life is from boy to man. And in traditional societies, we had to read the passage, rites of passage, yeah. which would induct them into noble, noble ways to take on the responsibility and celebrate becoming baligh and celebrate becoming mm. a man. What do we do now? Nothing. Okay, joke. You know, it, it's almost boys in our community go through shame, secrecy, humiliation, discomfort, which leads to double life syndrome. Then Abdurrahim, yeah, yeah. what I would say, again, we're going to need to continue with this, but um, Slime Neat, uh, a comment came up, uh, Hassan, mm -hmm. if you can put that, and I think this will be a good question to address all of us if possible, um, and I think we're going to need to come back, but this would be a good way to conclude this show, if you both agree, by addressing this question, and there's so many that were asked today, and yeah, I'm sorry to our question. So, so what I'd say, Abdurrahim, do you, do you want to um, give your thoughts on this and then brother Ilyas, and then we can draw to a conclusion. And I think we need to consider 
continuing this next week. It's so important. I think I, I, I do find, you know, I find the custom or the tradition that you find all over the world of manhood ceremonies. By the way, also the women have, you know, similar but different ceremonies right. as well, right? Um, I find that really fascinating that something marks that transition, but it's not just man, it's the transition to into adulthood, right? And that's a whole nother con another conversation about this artificially constructed idea of being a teenager, right? Right. And that right. somehow this 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 age, this teenager years, you have a sort of license to behave in a particular way, right? And I, I particularly, I guess, if you're white, yeah, you have a license to behave in a particular sort of way that no one else would accept, but it's accepted because you're a teenager. And it's, you know, it's a very artificial thing. I mean, like I said, you know, we said before, you know, I wouldn't say it's the first time in history. Nothing's the first time in history, right? But it's certainly not normal historically for this sort of phenomena to have existed. Like you were a child and then you become a man, right? And then right. you are expected very quickly to start behaving like a man and taking on certain responsibilities. And I guess this comes part and parcel with our, you know, this consumer society, a society that is driven by consumerism. And really, this is what is driving a lot of these things. You know, whether you're talking about porn, when you're talking about the, you know, the body image dysphoria, uh, when you're talking about the computer games, uh, you know, and, and all of this is really connected to this whole, you know, this whole materialistic paradigm which we live that is very sick, very dangerous, very toxic. Um, and that, you know, if you want to see something that's creating toxic masculinity and making it worse, I think that's what what, what it is. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. just as a thought, we need to develop our own, you know, manhood transition ceremonies. Like you said, Elias, there's nothing. And I was sitting here thinking, what is there? Um, you know, maybe getting. Well, you, might, you might remember we used to go a lot in the countryside back in the. Back yes, in the yes. Yeah, we did. Do you know? Shall I tell you what my one was? Yes, I tell you what. I tell you what my initiation go on. was. Go on. We, we, and this and this is something that is typical from our culture. So, and um, you went to school with some of the middle ass, but yeah. as I was growing and hit teenagehood and everything like that, um, without warning. Um, my peers, somebody who were older than me, you would be thrown over a garden wall walking down the road or if you're yeah, in a yeah. house chilling with your friends and you would be beaten. And I mean, elbows, everything. And you cannot cry. You're in pain, you're in agony. And even if you get angry, if you show anger to retaliate because they're stronger than you, the violence will be um, even more. And I remember growing up like that amongst um, some of my friends and they are close friends. And I you accepted it because it's what was done but you might say that's brutal it's violent i'm not saying this should be in this this is not a suggestion for what we should do my brothers but then one of the things I sh it showed me and i realized it afterwards with hindsight some of the things that we experienced in life which was the circle i was in which was violence because of the violence that i had been initiated into when it became real violence it's normative, it wasn't yeah. a thing. It's it normative. was normative. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't as bad as what I'd been initiated into. 
Now, that's a bad initiation, I would say. I'm not advocating that. And, and but still, have to remember all the parties as well, the party culture and the alcohol and drugs. That was all part of it as well back then. Definitely, so, yes. definitely. And that's, that's still going on today. As I yeah. mentioned, I alluded to earlier with the gang violence and the initiation of killing an individual, shanking an individual. So this is toxic masculinity that needs to be diminished. And we do need to go, as you said, Abdul Rahim, when you think of what rites of passage according to, is there a sunnah way to do it? Is there a, a way that maybe it's not in the sunnah, but it's permissible that we can do? You're right, we don't have it. It's the alcohol, it's the hedonism. You know, Abdul Rahim, and with the three of us- There, 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 is, there, is, there, is, there is a tradition in, uh, in, in, in Islam, in the sunnah. And it's to celebrate becoming baligh, to becoming a man, and therefore the fara'id now are obligatory upon you. The the whole the, the obligatory. Ah uh, yes, you. yes. And, and and to start giving our youth induction into leadership. Hmm. You know, but we don't. What we have are elders just holding on to leadership. Anyway, that's a separate point. Abdurrahim, do you remember Fight Club, the film? Yes, I do. Yeah. And, and if anyone wants to watch a film which really kind of encapsulates this dynamic of what happens when you have what I call the nihilism of man, the total annihilation of masculinity by defining it as an economic unit. Men want to then seek something that makes them connect to something more meaningful in their life. And this is what creates fascism, essentially. And, and that's what, <laughs> uh, and misogyny, yeah. That's what essentially Fight Club is all about, yeah. I just want to respond, just to finish with today, is someone asked, how do we get back to traditional roles? Yeah, how do we get back to this traditional roles? And I think even the term traditional roles has become so maligned and distorted and and weaponized and politicized and confused what does it actually mean okay traditional roles because in, interestingly the nazis also believed in traditional roles okay so what is you know and, and that's why i want anyone to go back to the verse that i mentioned in in surah al-tawbah yeah verse 71 the belief and this is our role this defines that the believing men and women are helpers friends and protectors of one another they enjoin what is good they forbid what is wrong Okay, they perform their salah, they give their zakah, they, they obey Allah and obey his messenger, and Allah will bestow his mercy on them. Allah is almighty and all wise. So what is your role? Your traditional role is to worship your creator. That's it. It's as simple as that. And, you know, if that becomes our defining existential purpose and reference point, and we go back to the Quran and Sunnah and the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in, 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 in administering this role in, and, and we we almost kind of Ill, extricate ourselves from these cultural uh, you know dynamics which are in opposition to that then Alhamdulillah you'll find that that interaction between men and women will be based upon will be will be that which truly gives Sakina yeah and will give you know uh, will will create that real partnership and that real complementality and reciprocity and justice and mercy, yeah? And that's what we've got to get back to. Jazakumullah khair, really. Um, again, I think this has been another fascinating show and the insights that have been shared, um, not only by you brothers here, but by the comments um, um, and- um, Brilliant comments, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's been amazing. We are going to need to discuss my brother's um, continuity and we can do that off the show. Um, but I hope that the viewers who have been participating and been listening and watching um, are taking some benefits away. I am certainly from my brothers here tonight, inshallah. Um, Abdurrahim, last yeah. words, and we can conclude. Well, you know, I, I guess one of the things we have to do as well is make dua that Allah, you know, we, we should never forget 
you know, to turn to Allah, to make dua to him, all of this, I guess all of these conversations we've had today and yesterday is, or I guess all of, at the end of the day, it comes down to responsibilities and fulfilling our amana generally, you know, as worshippers of Allah, that's what it really comes down to. And uh, fulfilling the imana of being a man is part of those, that responsibility that Allah has given us. So, you know, obviously we turn to the guidance of the Quran and the Sunnah, but also to make dua that Allah SWT guides us on the balanced way, as Ilyas Jazakallah he mentioned, no, Islam is that beautiful yeah. balanced way. So that, that's my final words. Jazakallah khair. Yes, and inshallah, you've been listening to a piece of cake. A piece of cake. <laughs> and we will see you next week, inshallah. Jazakallah. 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 J